recently, some of the very worst people alive tried to take down Elon Musk for no other reason than they are authoritarian douchebags. Uh, and they got what was coming to them in more ways than one. And that's what we're going to talk about. Going to talk about it all here today on Legalese. Hey, greetings, and welcome back to Legalese. This is a podcast that discusses current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, you can find the video version of the show on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey, and Spotify now. And you can find the audio version on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and several other platforms. Uh, you can join my community over on Locals.com, and even sign up to support the show over there for as little as 2 bucks a month. And you can do all of those things and read a plethora of articles that I often write over on Substack, mostly on topics related to constitutional law. So check the description down below for links to all of those pages. Now, I have one very quick but very exciting announcement before we get to the meat of today's show. Now, if you're someone who has been watching my content for a while, you probably remember that the way I used to make the show was a little different in that I would do a couple of short, punchy episodes every month, like this one is going to be genuinely, genuinely punctuated by one bigger, longer, fancier, often funnier episode about once a month. Now, the reason I stopped doing the show that way is I lost access to some of the video production tools that I needed to make those bigger, more complex episodes. I am very happy and very excited to say that that is no longer the case. So I will be returning to that old format once again. My next video is going to be a real doozy. You are not going to want to miss it. So make sure that you are subscribed to the channel so you stay up to date. And you will be sure to get notified when all these changes come. Now, for today's discussion, uh, I do have a, I think, probably relatively short video for you guys today. Uh, recently... A multinational NGO known as the Open Market Initiatives began pumping tons of money into a campaign to convince the FTC and FCC to block Elon Musk from buying Twitter. Now, if you're anything like me, you have been absolutely fucking loving Twitter lately, watching Elon Musk in his role as a world-class troll, and I really mean that term in a very positive and affectionate way. To be perfectly honest, we haven't had this kind of consistent entertainment since Donald Trump left office. And the best part about Elon Musk is, one, he's not Donald Trump, and two, he's not also the president of the United States. Now, I, I, I mean no offense to any Trump supporters who may watch my show, but even you guys have to agree that that guy was a wrecking ball who was prone to do some serious collateral damage in between him knocking down those things that we all loved him demolishing so very much. But watching Elon take on all comers is just about the funniest way possible. Uh, and it doesn't come with that holy shit, Donald Trump is in charge of our country sensation of anxiety and terror that is just kind of extra baggage that you had to suffer through to get your fill of top-notch, too-rich-to-give-a-fuck trollertainment which is a word I just made up that I guess is a mixture of troll entertainment, I don't know. Um, while many of you were probably aware of Elon Musk's epic Twitter replies, 
recently to the open market initiative trying to sabotage the sale of Twitter uh, because there's a few things that they hate, the open market initiative that is, there's a few things that they hate more than, you know, civil liberties, uh, capitalism, uh, and guys with enough fuck you money who are not on their side and can do whatever they please. You know, of course, it excludes themselves. They have uh, all of those features, and they love that about themselves. They just don't love it about anyone with a soul. Now, specifically, what I am referring to are two tweets that Elon put out calling out the Open Market Initiative. Now, if you haven't seen these tweets yet, you will find them both linked down in the video description. And if you did see these tweets, but you didn't take time to read the articles that were attached to each tweet, I have links to those articles down in the description as well. And if you didn't read those, I assure you, they are worth taking the time to read. So this is uh, the first tweet we have here where he brings up the article and he says, interesting, I wonder if those funding these organizations are fully aware what those organizations are doing. Now it's followed up by this tweet. Who funds these organizations that want to control your access to information? Let's investigate. So not only did he name the oligarchic, civil liberty-hating, uber-corrupt, power-hungry mongers of fear who are the mouthpieces for this organization, uh, everyone from Barack Obama to Hillary Clinton to George Soros and many others, he then called out the corporations who are giving this group millions and millions of dollars to make sure people like myself, uh, and likely you as well, dear viewer, really anyone who isn't part of their elite inner circle and doesn't have a Muskian or Trumpian level of wealth that can easily be converted into fuck you money, we are certainly more vulnerable to censorship. And I think Elon Musk is smart enough to know that if you or I found out that companies like oh, oh, Coca-Cola or Kraft or Disney were giving millions of dollars that they profited from us to advocate for governments and corporations alike to censor anyone and anything that they don't like, that we very well might consider spending our hard-earned money with other companies who don't act like total dicks. Now, while it's probably no surprise to see pushback against this kind of censorship coming from, for example, people like Elon Musk or uh, legal commentators like myself, uh, or, uh, of course, also civil rights organizations, by which I mean the kind that advocate for civil rights, uh, like FIRE and the EFF, not those that try to rob people of their civil rights, like the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center. They are terrible. But there has been a new and very, very surprising voice speaking out against state censorship. And that is state censors. Look, it, it's just, it, it's so rare that the government does something that is worthy of praise that I almost feel it's incumbent on me when I see it to kind of point it out and give them an attaboy. Now, I want to be clear here. This should not be seen as an endorsement of these agencies I will be talking about. 
and their purpose is outside any kind of flimsy claims of constitutional authority. And the fact is, their main reason for existing is to take powers that should belong to the states and the people and co-opt them for the federal government. This also shouldn't necessarily be seen as an endorsement of the particular uh, people, the bureaucrats, who I will be quoting from, because pretty much every single action from the government, from departments like we're going to be talking about, like the FTC, the FCC, and the DOJ, up until today have been actions that I roundly condemn, and I fully expect that after today, they will continue along with their same old modus operandi. Because the fact is, bureaucrats is bureaucrats, and what they say they will do, and what they do, tend to be at best unrelated, and at worst, directly contradictory. But, with those caveats in mind, these calls for state censorship are just too delicious not to share. So, last week, the Open Market uh, Initiative Institute called on the FTC, the FCC, and the DOJ to block Musk from buying Twitter. This is the open letter that they sent to these agencies and published on their webpage. It reads as follows, quote, Yesterday, Twitter's board agreed to sell the corporation to Elon Musk, the owner of Tesla and SpaceX. The Open Markets Institute believes the deal poses a number of immediate and direct threats to American democracy and free speech. Open Markets also believes the deal violates existing law and that the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, the Department of Justice, the DOJ, and the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, have ample authority to block it. The most obvious problem is that the deal would give to a single man who already wields immense political and economic power direct control over one of the world's most important platforms for public communications and debate. As has been true from the founding, the American people have an absolute right to ensure the full openness and neutrality of all essential public infrastructure specific to communications. We see this in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. In the Telegraph Acts of 1860 and 1866, in the Mann-Elkins Act of 1910, in the Communications Act of 1934, and many other federal and state laws. Uh, just to take a break from the letter for a second, if you guys would want me to uh, do a video uh, breaking down uh, those laws and what they say and why it's bullshit that they actually don't relate to this deal at all, let me know down in the comment section. I would be happy to do it. I just, I didn't think to do that in this video because I didn't know if you would be interested. Let me know. I certainly can. Anyways, uh, back to their letter. Quote, Americans have also repeatedly used our antitrust laws to prevent concentration of power over communication, speech, debate, and news. Yesterday's deal also violates the law at a more technical level. Mr. Musk already controls one of the most important internet platforms in the world, in the form of the satellite communications system Starlink. Since the late 19th century, the U.S. government has routinely acted to prevent mergers between existing essential platforms. More recently, the DOJ in 2017 attempted to block AT&T's takeover of Time Warner, an effort which failed because the DOJ filed a poor case 
as OMI made clear at the time. This means that just as we would now expect the U.S. government to block a takeover of Twitter by Google, Facebook, Comcast, or Verizon, the same rules apply to the owners of Starlink. Let's be clear. Elon Musk's effort to buy Twitter is not the only threat to free communication and debate in the United States. The size, scope, and business models of Facebook, Google, and Amazon also pose a wide variety of often extreme threats to American democracy and the basic rights of citizens. That's why law enforcers and Congress should view this deal as an opportunity to firmly reestablish clear bans on any manipulation of communications by essential platforms and to eliminate all business models that rely on such manipulation. Finally, as Open Markets made clear in this article in the Washington Monthly, and I'll have the article that they wrote linked down in the description as well, it's time for the FTC to get serious about regulating Starlink to assure that this vital and increasingly important internet platform serves the public interest only. Now, that is the letter um, that Elon Musk wrote those two tweets to respond to. Now, what was so great was that the day after this letter was issued, we got a letter issued by none other than the FCC Commissioner, Brendan Carr. And his response was just magnificent. He said, quote, The FCC has no authority to block Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and to suggest otherwise is absurd. I would welcome the full FCC making it clear that we will not entertain these types of frivolous arguments. End quote. Now, just hearing the head of the FCC call out that spurious argument that suggests a federal agency claim a power they don't actually have. And, and if you really think about it, the Open Markets Institute did it in a very sneaky and underhanded way by giving the government the tenuous justification in law that is usually all they seem to require to declare they have new authorities that they apparently had all along but had just never utilized. So to hear the head of that agency, the FCC, call this kind of vague justification for our power and control that many bureaucrats actually tend to seem to spend their entire careers creatively manufacturing for themselves, this was a real treat. And in fact, this was reminiscent of one of my favorite moments in the whole of Supreme Court history. Now, if you are familiar with the case U.S. v. Lopez from 1995, and especially if you're familiar with that case because you saw the video I made on that case as part of my Today in Supreme Court History series, you will no doubt remember me bringing up a classic exchange between Justices Ginsburg and Justice Scalia with the then U.S. Solicitor General, General Malcolm Days who was making an argument before the court related to a Commerce Clause power in the case. And they were asking him about putting some kind of practical limit on what the government felt it had to do using the Commerce Clause as justification. 
So just check this out. This is this is beautiful. During oral arguments, Justice Ginsburg asked the Solicitor General, "What are the limits then? What would be a case that would fall outside?" After an uncomfortable pause, he replied, "I don't." Have Justice Scalia then interjected, "Don't give away anything here. <laughs> they might want to do it next." The inability of the Solicitor General to identify a limiting principle to its theory of congressional power was fatal to the government's argument. Now, if you have not seen my USB Lopez video, I will link to that in a card in the top right-hand corner right about now. Or if you're watching somewhere besides YouTube, check the video description for a link. Uh, it really is, I think, a fascinating and underappreciated case by people who don't already immerse themselves in issues of constitutional law. But this case was incredible because it was the very first time that any part of the federal government had found an upper limit to the Commerce Clause in over 60 years since the infamous Wickard case. Now, Lopez in 1995, and later the case of U.S. v. Morrison in 2000, were the two great cases that formed the basis of what became known as New Federalism, where for one brief and shining moment in time, it looked like perhaps the infinite growth of applied powers under the Commerce Clause could finally come to an end. Of course, that was until that dream was uh, smothered in 2005 in Gonzalez v. Raich, which I've already also discussed in a video about that case on today in Supreme Court history that I will also link to in the description if you're interested. That's essentially the case where the Supreme Court decided that a woman who grew her own cannabis purely for her own personal use while suffering from cancer in California, a state where cannabis was legal at the time, could be subject to federal regulation under the Interstate Commerce Clause, even though her cannabis never traveled between states and was never sold, bartered, or even given away in anything that could possibly resemble commerce. But I, I, di I digress. Uh, so pardon that tangent. Few things get me more worked up than discussions of Commerce Clause jurisprudence and its relation to implied constitutional powers because I'm a total nerd, I guess. I, I, I don't know. I don't have a good reason. It, it's an odd thing to get worked up about, even I admit that. Now, moving on, though. If you are uh, anything like me, uh, that statement that we just read by Brendan Carr of the FCC, uh, who calling the agency as a whole to speak out against frivolous arguments such as the ones by the Open Market Institute, if you thought that was good, you are going to love this next one. This is a public statement that was issued the day after the statement by Brendan Carr. And this was issued by the FCC commissioner, Nathan Symington, who added to the conversation. Some have recently called on the FCC to stop Elon Musk from acquiring Twitter. But nothing in the United States Code or our regulations gives us the right to interfere with this transaction. Our Competition Review Authority does not and has never extended to internet platforms like Twitter. But even if this deal were within our purview, it would be inappropriate and contrary to the public interest to block it. 
Mr. Musk's acquisition does not raise any concerns about vertical or horizontal concentration in the social media market, and there is no reason to think that it would otherwise limit competition or harm consumer welfare. In fact, antitrust regulators should welcome this purchase. In recent years, consumer choice and freedom have suffered due to this restrictive and often politically motivated content moderation practice adopted across all major social media platforms. If Mr. Musk follows through on his stated intention to ease Twitter's restrictions on speech, he would almost certainly enhance competition and better serve those Americans, the majority of whom value free speech. He goes on to say, Also unpersuasive are selective concerns about concentration of ownership. Nothing about Mr. Musk becoming the sole owner of Twitter would be out of step with the ownership structures of other social media platforms or, for that matter, media companies generally. Google, YouTube, Facebook, The Washington Post, and The New York Times are each owned or controlled by one or two people or a single family. Vertical integration is also widespread, and there are numerous examples of common ownership and control of broadband internet access service and online services such as search engines, streaming platforms, and news websites. Concerns about Mr. Monk, Mr. Musk controlling both Twitter and Starlink, a broadband provider currently serving less than 1% of Americans, cannot be taken seriously. The FCC cannot and should not block this sale. We should instead applaud Mr. Musk for doing something about a serious problem that government has so far failed to address. I encourage my colleagues across the government to investigate the market failures and perverse incentives that caused big tech companies to standardize around censorious and slanted content policies in the first place. If this acquisition leads to corporate success by bucking the trend towards curated and managed speech informed by the sensibilities of a narrow and unrepresentative class of insiders, it will bring greater diversity to the social media experience. And as this experience is clearly lawful, I, for one, Look forward to seeing what comes of it. He finishes the letter off by saying, Finally, I am particularly troubled by arguments that the federal government must act with the purpose of stopping Mr. Musk from enshrining free expression on Twitter. The only merit in such proposals is their candor in proposing something so blatantly illegal. The laws in this country do not recognize a government interest in restricting the open exchange of ideas. Labeling content as fake news or disinformation does not change that. It would not only be unconstitutional, but plainly un-American for any arm of the government to act against Twitter or Mr. Musk for such a purpose. 
Sincerely, Office of Commissioner Nathan Symington, so on and so forth. And if you'll excuse this indulgence, that last paragraph was so good, I just have to read it again. Finally, I am particularly troubled by arguments that the federal government must act with the purpose of stopping Mr. Musk from enshrining free expression on Twitter. The only merit in such proposals is their candor in proposing something so blatantly illegal. The law in this country does not recognize a government interest in restricting the open exchange of ideas. Labeling content as fake news or disinformation does not change that. It would be not only unconstitutional, but plainly un-American for any arm of the government to act against Twitter or Mr. Musk for such a purpose. So kudos to you, Mr. Symington. And in, indeed, I, I feel personally that we should all be troubled by calls for the federal government uh, trying to prevent them from enshrining freedom of expression, a natural right that is at the core of just about everything that makes this country great. And that such actions would be illegal, unconstitutional, and downright fucking un-American is precisely what we will be further exploring in my next video. We are going to be taking a very close look at Biden's latest undertaking to create precisely the very federal government control of free expression, free association, and the squelching of redress of grievance that are nothing if they are not illegal, unconstitutional, and un-American. We will be having a comprehensive discussion of his new Ministry of Truth that, in an act that is nothing less than a, a breathtaking example of both hypocrisy and irony, he, the department he is creating for the proliferation, creation, and dissemination of government disinformation, he is calling the Disinformation Governance Board. Now, in the meantime, uh, I, I realize I've already suggested a few other past videos of mine uh, to watch. Uh, and the ones mentioned are very good and they are worth watching if they sound like a topic you are interested in. But I do want to call your attention to several specific past videos I highly would encourage you guys to all go watch before the next episode. The first one is called Sedition, an American Virtue. The second is known as Julian Assange, Freedom of the Press, and the Myth of Constitutional Rights. Now, I'm guessing many of you uh, haven't seen those videos, uh, frankly because they're fairly old, and since they've come out, my channel's views and subscribers have gone way up. So I really uh, implore you and suggest you check them out. Those will also, I'll, I'll link them in a card if you're on YouTube. I'll put them there right now. And if you're anywhere else, uh, check down in the description. You'll find links to them down there. And look, even if you have seen these before, it's been a while. 
And, and I really think that he's touched on something good enough and important enough that it would be worth going back to watch for a second time. They both explore this very troubling trend of seeing free expression, free association, and redress as, at best, privileges which only certain people and certain ideas should be protected by, uh, and increasingly, at worst, seen as a threat to our way of life, to our country, and to what the government mongers of fear call a threat to our so-called democracy. When in fact, these are all indispensable values derived from natural rights that have been at the heart of every single fucking great leap forward we have taken together as a nation. This includes the Revolutionary War, the end of slavery, the end of Jim Crow, and the incredible gains of the Civil Rights Movement. None of those things could have possibly occurred if a majority of people had, at that time, already adopted a view that so many have today that free expression is some kind of threat. The only thing that free expression is a threat to are liars and tyrants, and maybe they should feel a little threatened, to be honest. Now, the more you guys are able to soak up the information from those videos I'm recommending, uh, Citizen American Virtue and Julian Assange, Myth of Constitutional Rights, uh, the easier it will be for me to focus on uh, new and current and thus far undiscussed aspects of this issue of censorship and free expression in my upcoming video without feeling like I have to backtrack or like I'm leaving something important out. And that will be out very soon, next couple of days, and you do not want to miss it. So until then, uh, if you liked this video, uh, let me know by hitting that little thumbsy uppy button. If you disliked it, you're certainly welcome to hit that little thumbsy downy button as well. Please, please do take a moment and leave me a comment and let me know what you thought about this video. Uh, just anything about the video in general, any specific point I made, any thoughts that you may have on these subjects. I really genuinely do enjoy hearing from you guys and having the chance to interact with you down in the comment section. Of course, subscribe to the channel so you will always know when the new content comes out. And as I said at the start of this video, it is going to be coming faster and better going forward from this point on. And if you are able, I would ask you to uh, at least consider uh, supporting the show by becoming a member over at Locals.com or Substack, where you can join and uh, become a member for as little as $2 a month. Uh, also, if you want to leave a one-time tip, you can do so through Anchor, PayPal, and Venmo. Uh, and if you aren't in a position to support the show uh, financially like that right now, uh, becoming a supporting member, I, I, I do understand and I do always still appreciate you coming by and spending some of your time here with me today all the same. And that goes for whether you are a first-time viewer or a long-time subscriber. And there is something that you can do to uh, help the show for free. You can support us by sharing this video across all of your favorite social media platforms 
And right now, before you even close out this window and move on to something else, just please uh, take a minute. Think of one or two friends that you know who you think would find this content especially interesting or useful. And take a moment to share it with them, you know, email them, post it to their whatever. Uh, If you would do that for me, I would be very, very grateful. And so until we meet again, this has been Bob for Legalese. And of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est.